0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire, and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Imagine you're at a party and you see an attractive stranger across the room. You lock eyes for a moment and your heart starts racing. You think they're hot and that other person's lingering look gave you the first clue that the feeling might be mutual. You want to see where this goes, but where do you even begin when it comes to flirting and seduction? This is something a lot of us struggle with. We want to make our interest in someone else known, but maybe it feels awkward to strike up a conversation with somebody that you don't really know. I mean, what do you even say? And if you start talking, how can you tell if they're just being polite and friendly or if they're actually flirting with you? Or what if they start flirting back, but you change your mind and realize you're not really into them after all? How do you get out of that situation? Flirting can be a tricky business, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to discuss the ins and outs of flirting and seduction, including how to level up your flirting game in a non-sleazy way, how to better read other people's flirting cues, how to deal with rejection, and much more. I am joined by Dr. Allison Ash, a trauma-formed intimacy coach and educator, Stanford University lecturer, author, and founder of TurnOn.Love. She designs workshops, courses, and retreats, and offers individuals and couples coaching to give them the tools to discover their desires and confidently pursue them. I can't wait for this conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Healthcare training programs usually include some information about gender and sexuality, but very few of them give you adequate training if your goal is to become a sex therapist or educator. This is where the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes can help. MSTi offers a PhD program in clinical sexology, as well as multiple certification programs in sex therapy and sex education for mental health and medical professionals. All trainings can be completed 100% online. Whether you're looking for a certification or simply an opportunity to build and expand your knowledge base, MSTi can help. For more information on their programs and offerings, find the link in the show notes or visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. Enhance your sexual performance with FirmTech. Check out their tech ring, which is designed to give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also tracking your erectile fitness. Wear it at night to monitor nocturnal erections and cardiovascular health, or wear it during lovemaking for a boost in the bedroom. Unlike other erection rings, FirmTechs is easy to put on, adjustable to your comfort, and it can go on whether you're hard or soft. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. Hi, Dr. Allie, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast.
1: Thanks so much. It's such a delight to be here with you.
0: Thank you for joining me. It's wonderful to meet you. So I'd like to begin our conversation by asking you to tell us a little bit about your professional background. So how did you get into the world of sex and relationship education and coaching?
1: Well, let's see. I started with a PhD from Stanford in sociology, where I specialized in sexuality and gender. And one of the research projects that I worked on for years with my advisor and another collaborator was looking at the hookup culture on a variety of campuses across the US and really examining the orgasm gap in heterosexual dynamics. And we spent years on this research and published some of the most seminal findings on this. And then my advisors were ready to move on to the next research project, as is the way in academia. And I felt another calling. And that was to take the findings of our research and to apply them in a real world setting so that folks could actually have greater access to pleasure and intimacy. And of course, not just women and heterosexual dynamics in college, but across the board, because I think the reality is, is that the way that society is currently set up, it disempowers everybody when it comes to creating intimacy and intimacy is a skill and with proper instruction and practice, we can get better at it and we just don't have access to it. And so it's really a life mission of mine to give people access to this skill.
0: I love that. And intimacy is absolutely a skill. So thanks for sharing your story. Let's talk about seduction now. Now, as my listeners know, I always like to start with definitions. And when we're talking about a topic like seduction, I think it's important to talk about what it is and isn't, because the word seduction has a lot of different meanings. For example, it can sound kind of hot, you know, when there's this mutual attraction there and one person goes out of their way to demonstrate their desire for the other. But it can also sound like this manipulative or sleazy thing if you look at it as one person trying to convince another to sleep with them. And although that other person may eventually agree, it might feel kind of coercive, or even if that person agrees on their own volition, they might end up feeling used in the end. So when you talk about seduction and teach workshops on it, how do you define seduction and where do you draw the line between expressing attraction and desire for someone versus manipulating or using someone?
1: This is such an important question. I'm so glad that you asked because... The line can feel a little fuzzy and vague for folks. And I think the most important differentiating factor between sleazy seduction and sleaze free seduction is whether or not the person who is doing the seducing is attached to an outcome. If they have a particular goal that they're moving towards, it can create and lead to either subtle or overt manipulation because their focus is on. meeting that goal and they can blow past any signs or cues that the other person may not be on the same page with them. And I think what's so important about seduction is it's creating the opportunity for somebody's turn on to come online and their arousal to build and develop And it's also meeting them exactly where they're at and attuning to them. And attunement is this process of tracking somebody else through their body language, through what they're saying, through their facial expressions and your own intuition, and then calibrating accordingly. And when we're having intimacy with somebody and we feel like they're tracking us and meeting us and attuning to us, it creates the safety that we need to allow our turn on to fully come online. And so that's the importance of sleaze-free seduction is it's allowing for that without being attached to it.
0: I love that. And, you know, this idea of attunement in flirting and seduction is so important. And I think it's especially important because we need to recognize that seduction attempts often take place in this very ambiguous context, right? So you have this attraction, this desire for another person, and you're looking for cues that they might be open to it. So, for example, maybe they're making eye contact with you, or perhaps they're smiling or saying or texting flirty things. And while these are often indicators of attraction, sometimes they're also just niceties. You know, many of us have mistaken friendliness for flirting. And then we launch into a seduction attempt that goes horribly wrong because we just totally misread the room. So what do you advise people to do when it comes to figuring out whether another person is really into you and isn't just being nice, right? So how can we get more attuned to these cues? What should we be looking for? And how is this different in, in an in-person context versus an online context, right? Because you've got totally different sets of information in each of these cases? Now, I know that's a really huge question I just asked. So feel free to take it in parts.
1: Yes, it's a great question. So let's see, the first part. Flirting is in part intentionally vague. And when I say that, what I mean is that flirting isn't linear. It's not building and escalating in one direction. It's actually this wave-like experience of escalating and de-escalating, even when you're both flirting, even when that is aligned Because part of flirting is testing the waters and seeing how does the other person respond to my no? How do they respond to anticipation? How do they respond to my boundaries? It's about testing safety as well as testing turn-on. One of the biggest themes that I talk about in my work is that for healthy intimacy and for hot pleasure, we actually need to find the intersection between safety and turn-on. If we have too much safety, not enough turn-on, you get friend-zoned if you have too much turn on and not enough safety, the walls come up because it doesn't feel safe or comfortable enough to explore the turn on. And so flirting is meant to have escalation as well as de-escalation, which makes it confusing. It can also be confusing for exactly the reasons that you mentioned, which is that friendliness can be misconstrued as flirting. And there's a lot of times when I'm coaching single women, and they will vent about that because they don't want to have to suppress their friendliness. And they also don't want to mislead people. And so one of the things that I really like to recommend folks when they are flirting is to escalate slowly, to go exquisitely slow, so that you're allowing for the opportunity to get an abundance of data. And that as you're escalating slowly, you're giving the other person the opportunity to refine the cues that they're giving you. And you asked, what are the cues that you might be looking for? Certainly eye contact is a big one. Now it's important to note that some people are going to make more eye contact than others. We're really kind of looking to track what are people's defaults and then how might they deviate from that default. We're looking for a cluster of signs. One cue alone isn't as meaningful as looking for a cluster of cues. Other things that you might be looking for are, are they leaning in? Are they minimizing body space between the two of you? Are they reaching out for touch or are they reciprocating touch? Are they engaging with you in increasingly more intimate and fun and juicy topics of conversation? One of the things that I recommend to folks when they're flirting in person is after there's some eye contact, after there's a little bit of that energy that's being exchanged between the two of them, is to offer what I call a level one fleeting touch. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So I like to break down the body into different categories of intimacy. And I would say a level one level of intimacy is arms, upper arms, shoulders, perhaps maybe upper back, And of course, this is cultural, so it's important to note that. But there are generally safer areas of the body that you can touch. And when I say fleeting, I mean a quick touch, not something that lingers. And you're looking to see how does the other person respond to that touch? Do they soften? Do they smile? Do they reciprocate? Or do they stiffen a little bit and maybe lean away? And when I talk about leaning in and leaning away, a couple degrees can actually mean a big difference. And If you miss a tune, if you're flirting with somebody and they are not reciprocating, or maybe you offer a level one fleeting touch and it wasn't well received, then I think something that can be really helpful is to either do one of two things. And I borrow a term here from the tech community because I do work with a lot of folks who are in tech. And as far as I understand it, and techies out there, if I'm misusing the term at all, please forgive me. But for folks who work on apps, if there is an app that fails, they don't scrap the whole app. They go back to the last version of the app that was working and they call that the last known good state. And I love this term because I think when people are flirting and it's not well-received, They scrap the whole app rather than going back to the last version of interaction that was working well. And that's the attunement process that we are talking about here. So maybe it's not touching. Maybe it's creating a couple more degrees of body space. Maybe it's going back to slightly more sterile topics of conversation. Whatever it was that was working well. And if that doesn't work, if that nonverbal attempt for recalibrating does not work well, in other words, you're still feeling tension or disconnection, or they still seem to be somewhat miffed by your attempt, then you can address the elephant in the room. So that's option two. And I think that that can be one of the best ways to reestablish safety. And so in this example, it might be like something to the effect of Oh, was that too much too soon? I'm so sorry if that was misattuned. And actually naming what transpired can help the other person see that you're tracking that and actually meeting them in that moment.
0: I like everything you described here, including the tech analogies that you shared you know, I'm always a little bit hesitant to liken people to computers, especially when we're talking about things like relationships and sex, because it just makes it feel like a little bit less sexy. But I think the way you framed it, it's a really helpful analogy. It's not to say that we are computers, but there is some logic behind flirting. And it is this dynamic process. And it has to be constantly recalibrated in order to result in a desirable outcome for everybody in the end. So I think those are all great tips. Now, I I think what we've been discussing here applies mostly to those in-person interactions, right, where you can provide that level one fleeting touch, right? When it comes to online seduction, that's a different thing. And we could also probably have different levels of, say, photos that we might share with other people. But I think a lot of times we see people just like skipping the level one photos, the G-rated ones, and they just go right to dick pics and other things. And that's where flirting can go terribly wrong when it takes place in an online environment. So what can you tell us about sort of reading the room and being attuned when you're having an online conversation and you don't have that greater abundance of physical cues like eye contact and body motions and so forth?
1: It is trickier. Virtual flirting, virtual communication is just trickier. I'm a big fan of video chats. And I think that's been one of the gifts of the pandemic is it really normalized video chats in a way that I think clients are maybe more resistant to doing that before the pandemic. And there are a bunch of visual cues that you can both receive and give in a video chat. If you don't have access to that, if you're texting or something like that, it can be a little bit more Confusing. I think this is where verbal flirting really comes in because you don't have access to the nonverbal flirting components. And so titrating slowly, meaning escalating slowly, you don't want to go for level 10 vulnerability or a level 10 question about what's your favorite sex position or what's your deepest fantasy or unmet longing. If you haven't built a ladder up to that level of intimacy it can feel like a really juicy question at the right time or a really offensive question at the wrong time. The way that I really recommend flirting in a virtual space is by offering slow escalations of more vulnerability, both in terms of the questions and the information that you're seeking and the curiosity that you're bringing, as well as the information that you're self-revealing. And I think this is an important part of flirting is that people forget that you have to offer up information. You have to share of yourself. They can go into an interview mode and ask lots of questions and bring curiosity online, which is beautiful. But you also need to self-review.
0: Yep, that is so true. So let's say you're picking up on all of these cues that the other person is into you, or at least we should say potential cues, right? And you're into them as well. Now, you could wait for the other person to make a move and wait for that confirmation that your observations were correct. But you run a risk in that situation of missing out because sometimes it happens that two people are really attracted to one another, but both of them are too shy or inhibited or afraid of rejection to do anything about it. And something else that holds a lot of people back is uncertainty. You know, they don't know what to say and they don't feel confident in their flirting. Or maybe they overanalyze every flirting situation. You know, they're not in the moment. They're in their head and they're second-guessing everything that they say and do they're like oh that was so stupid why did I say that right they're critiquing their own performance as it happens I know This happens in the bedroom as well. We call this spectatoring when people are having sex and they're sort of mentally checking out and critiquing their own sexual performance. But we do it with flirting and seduction as well. So I think an important question to ask is, how can you get more comfortable with flirting so that when you find yourself in one of these situations, you're not stuck in your head and you're not constantly second-guessing yourself?
1: Flirting is edgy. It requires a lot of confidence. And I think that part of that confidence comes from practice, from exposure and familiarity. What is unfamiliar is more likely to feel awkward and uncomfortable. And so part of it is just putting yourself out there and gaining some experience. I also think that there are skills that we can learn that help us get out of our head and be more in our body, whether we're flirting or having a sexual encounter. And some of those can include embodiment. So really working on various embodiment practices that help you observe the sensations and emotions that are happening in your body in real time and through practice and in essence, creating muscle memory. You can learn how to use your body as an anchor. Maybe it's feeling your feet on the ground. Maybe it's tracking your breath. Maybe it's noticing the back of your body. There's different things that might work for different folks. It could be offering yourself some sort of reassurance. I think part of it is seeing if you can access your curiosity It's hard to both be anxious and curious at the same time. And so if you can drop out of your you focus and pull a little bit of them focus online around what they're saying, what they're expressing, about what you want to know about them, that can feel really helpful. Sometimes I think that it's okay to, as I said earlier, name the elephant in the room and you can do it in a way that can feel deeply flattering. For example, you might say something like, wow, I'm noticing that I'm so attracted to you that I'm getting a little tangled in my mind or I'm losing my words a little bit or I'm finding that my tongue gets twisted around you because I feel such chemistry with you there's a sweetness in that there's an affirmation there's a vulnerability there's also a bringing them in on your experience and I think part of what's so terrifying and increasing the challenge of those situations is when we try to hide it and navigate it on our own and not not let them notice that we're feeling the discomfort that's it just amplifies it
0: I think something that sort of runs through everything you were just saying there is that when it comes to flirting and flirting techniques, there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer that's going to work for every person and situation. And it suggests that we need to be kind of adaptable and flexible when it comes to flirting. You have to calibrate it for that situation and try some different things. You know, I think there are a lot of people out there who approach flirting the same way with every person. Like, for example, they might have a standard pickup line that they go to, and maybe that pickup line is something that just moves way too quickly for the vast majority of people. It escalates it dramatically. You know, it goes from level one to level 60 momentarily, you know, sort of the class, pickup line I, I don't say classic in a good sense I just mean that you know it's been around for a while nice shoes, want to fuck, you know, it just sort of starts with, hey, here's a nice little compliment. And then boom, like, how can we get into bed? You know, that is too much too soon for most people. And, you know, maybe it works a very small percentage of the time in terms of it captures the other person's attention, and maybe they're interested in you. But the vast majority of the time, you're going to flame out, it's just not going to work. So being adaptable, being flexible, trying different things, really calibrating your approach to the specific person in the situation, I think seems to be really important, but it's also important to make it playful and fun, right? So do you have any other tips you can share on just sort of how to make flirting fun and how to create positive affect and positive mood? Because we know that when you make other people feel good, that makes them much more likely to like you. So do you have any other tips you can share on that?
1: I love how you mention fun. And I think that's something that a lot of people aren't tracking when they're flirting, either because they're so goal-oriented or because their inner critic is so fierce that they don't have any space for the fun. And that's something that I think is so important. And so when you're flirting... Trying to do so in context that you feel more confident and are already having more fun. So engaging with people in shared hobbies and activities and uh, spaces that you feel help you come alive is always a good move. And as I mentioned earlier, to bring that curiosity online, your genuine curiosity. What is it about this other person that you are excited to get to know, whether or not they end up wanting to fuck as you said, right, so that you could enjoy connecting with somebody without that goal and attachment and to be with the unfolding process there can be some delight that we can take in the not knowing, in the unfolding, in the anticipation and the longing. And it can be so yummy or it can feel painful. And I think a lot of it comes to from how Empty our intimacy tanks are. If your intimacy tanks are really low, you're not getting a lot of connection and touch in your life, it can be very challenging to show up to these situations and have fun because you're so hungry. And so, part of what I really want to suggest to folks out there is to cultivate platonic intimacy in your life. That if you can have friendships that fulfill you emotionally and even perhaps have cuddle relationships and physical affection in your platonic friendships. It nourishes you, it fills your intimacy tanks, and it is wonderful practice for creating intimacy in romantic relationships. We use so many of the same skills in our close friendships that we do with our partners.
0: That's so true. And as you're talking about all of this, I'm thinking more about how flirting, seduction, attraction, these are all biopsychosocial things, right? There are so many factors that are influencing us in that moment that can sort of push the direction of this attraction in very different ways you know so you've got everything that you're bringing to the situation with you you've got that particular environment that you're in and how it makes you feel and do you feel stressed out do you feel comfortable there or do you feel like you're an imposter you know in a lot of situations where people are flirting you know for example I'm thinking about like nightclubs in Las Vegas where everybody's dressing up like that's a very high stakes thing like the idea of flirting in that environment just kind of like stresses me out you know I'd rather be at a more comfortable neighborhood bar or something like that. And so I think when we think about flirting and seduction and all these other sorts of things, it's figuring out the environment that you feel comfortable in. And some people feel more comfortable with online communication than they do in person because you can have more control over what it is that you say. So think about how all of these other factors are influencing you in that moment because it might not be that you're bad at flirting. You're just putting yourself in situations that, don't really show that best side of yourself and how you can sort of get another person's attention or attraction or sort of build that intimacy. So again, it goes back to trying different things and doing what works for you. Now, sometimes in the process of flirting with someone or engaging in seduction, you're really into that person at first, like you think they're super hot. But then you start talking to them and they start flirting back and you're like, oh shit, you know, maybe there's a red flag or maybe you just discovered that the attraction was only skin deep and you're not into them anymore, but you've already made your interest in them clear and now they're coming on to you. I've been there and it's awkward. So, you know, you're just thinking to yourself, God, I started this thing and I don't want it to go any further, but I don't know how to get out of this situation. So do you have any advice on how can you sort of de-escalate or disengage from a seduction attempt? when it's going in a direction you just don't want to go anymore.
1: Yes, I think this can be tricky. And also, as you said, common. And if we don't feel confident in our ability to de-escalate and to end a situation that's no longer working for us, it actually makes the cost and the risk of flirting so much higher because it can feel like we need to be a 1000% sure before we allow ourselves to engage in the kinds of interactions that give us the data that we need to be sure. And so if we can feel confident that we can extricate ourselves from situations we no longer want to be in, it actually makes it feel safer for us to explore and to really give people the opportunity to get to know them. And so when we want to end a flirting dynamic, I think something that can be really helpful is to affirm something that you genuinely appreciated about them or the interaction, something that you like about them. Obviously, there's something there if you flirted with them in the first place. And then share your truth, which is I'm unavailable. And you can say that in a variety of ways. So let's workshop a few. I might say something to the effect of, this has been so fun getting to know you. I think you're an incredibly interesting human. And I'm also just noticing that I'd like to go spend the rest of the night with my friends, if you're at a bar or something like that. Or if you're in an online setting, maybe you might say, I think you're a really fascinating human and I'm so grateful that I got to learn more about Phil on the Blake. And I'm noticing that there's just not the level of chemistry here that I would want for both of us to proceed further. And I think that there's this way that you're never going to be able to name that in a super comfortable sexy way it's not a sexy thing to say but you can say it in a gentle way and honest way and I think that that's the best approach
0: yeah and I know this is such a complex issue because there are a lot of people out there who feel like getting closure is the best way to go with this and that they're going to feel better and I'm thinking about my younger self and the way that I kind of dealt with rejection when somebody else was talking to me and I didn't want that to go any further, you know, I did some dick moves. Like, you know, they'd ask for your number and I'd give them a wrong number or something else. Or I'd, you know, if it's at a busy place, excuse myself to the restroom. And then when I'd see they're not following me, like sneak out and leave and just never return. Right. Those are not necessarily healthy ways to reject somebody else especially if it's an environment that you're going to be visiting again in the future and you might potentially run into them right but that was all my younger self could do was just sort of engage in ghosting and i didn't feel comfortable with this idea of delivering rejection it's a really hard thing to do and it's hard in any context whether it's an employment or relationships nobody likes to be in the business of giving rejection nobody likes to be in the situation of receiving rejection but we do need to find healthier ways of doing it and i appreciate your suggestion don't have to be a dick like my younger self Now, sometimes when we flirt with other people, as I mentioned, we get rejected. Maybe you misread the room, and the other person was just being friendly. Like I said, no matter the reason for it, rejection sucks, and it makes us feel bad. And sometimes that holds us back from flirting at all you know maybe we're rejected a few times and then we just don't want to put ourselves out there anymore because it hurts too much so do you have any advice for people when it comes to dealing with rejection in the flirtation process to maybe make this thing a little less bad
1: well there's a couple things the first is is that if you are escalating slowly and allowing yourself the opportunity to gather data and to attune properly, you're actually, in some ways, being more gentle with yourself. Because if you're not doing that, you're throwing yourself in the deep end over and over and over again, hoping that somehow there's a raft that you're going to land on that's going to help you float. It's very different if you're wading in and building up your confidence that the raft is on the other side. I don't know if that analogy fully works, but there's a way in which if you go, nice shoes, want to fuck, and the other person is like, no, you're not creating the conditions for you to be able to discern whether or not this is a good match. And it's different if you discern that there's no chemistry than if they are telling you that there's no chemistry. Both can feel like a bummer. One feels like a rejection. One feels like disappointment. I think similarly, it's helpful to realize that there are so many metrics of compatibility. And as humans, we are most likely to assume that if some dynamic isn't compatible, it's because of our deepest insecurity and our own assessments of our shortcomings. Rather than realizing that chemistry is an interactive, collaborative co-created experience and that if you don't have chemistry with one person that might not have anything to do with something that you did wrong or didn't do right it's just the nature of the dynamic between the two of you and lastly I'd say that it's helpful to build some resiliency we need resiliency to flirt and to be out there and to be in the world of creating intimacy whether you're partnered or not And so sometimes that means getting support from therapists, from coaches, from friends and mentors so that we can feed our sense of self-love and self-worth. And that's what builds our sense of resiliency.
0: I think that's all so useful, so important when it comes to doing this. You know, we do need to have some of that practice with rejection in order to build up resiliency, because if we try and buffer ourselves from it entirely, then you never have the chance For growth, right? So there is truth to the old saying that growth really comes from pain, right? Sometimes we have to experience a little bit of that, but it can make us stronger. And if it is something that you're struggling with, where you find yourself perseverating on it, and this is bad for your mental health, it's really important to seek support, seek help for that. Talk to a therapist, find a way to kind of work through this, because dating, flirting, all of this stuff is challenging for everybody. But if it starts to come to a point where it's really stressful and taxing for you, that's when it's time to seek professional help. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Dr. Ali. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work?
1: Yes, my website is turnon.love.com. And when you go there, you can find out all about my coaching practice and the wide range of intimacy skills that I support both individuals and couples with, as well as my large catalog of on-demand workshops and live in-person and virtual workshops. And what I want to put on everybody's radar is my eight-week virtual online Master course, Sexual and Emotional Intimacy Skills Master Course that starts in January of 23. And what's so powerful about this course is there is a large cohort of folks that are taking it with you. It's highly participatory. You have the opportunity to practice all of these intimacy skills that we've been talking about that you are so hard to learn from a book or a podcast alone. Uh, You can take it as an individual or as a couple. And if you're with a partner, you can do the exercises with them, which can feel safe, or you can also branch out and meet new people, which can feel really exciting and liberating. And everything's recorded if you want extra review or miss a class. So I really am excited to teach this as one of my favorite things that I offer throughout the year because it offers such an in-depth examination of intimacy, as well as really beautiful community of folks who are exploring the same material.
0: Sounds like an amazing learning opportunity. Thank you again so much for your time, and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and sexandpsychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.